Tonight, if you have your Bibles, we are in the book of Daniel. We are in Daniel chapter 4. Tonight, if you need a Bible, Richard's up. He'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. As you're turning there, just a, a couple of things that I, I think we should pray about tonight before we get um, into the study. Uh, you know, I, I turn on my computer, maybe you guys do as well, and you look at the headlines, and, and uh, it's not very encouraging when you see it says there that U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on Wednesday doubled down on accusations Iran is responsible for the weekend bombings in Saudi Arabia's oil facilities, telling reporters that the strike was an act of war. And, uh, you know, you see that and, and you think, you know, and, and you know, it, we're just on the verge and we just need to pray that things will calm down and, and things will settle over and, and uh, we need to pray for that. And then two more things I wanted to pray about before we got into the study. Uh, Lenore Hamilton, you guys know her, she's my secretary back there and, and doing the secretarial stuff right now. Um, her grandson, uh, Liam, uh, Kevin and uh, Lydia's little boy is not gaining weight. He's about four months old, and uh, he's just not putting on weight. And he did to begin with, and he keeps him losing. So now he's actually four months old. He's back down to his birth weight. And so we want to pray that uh, he's doing a little bit better, they said, as of today. And, and uh, um, uh, But so we just want to pray that little Liam can get up in his birth weight. And then as we prayed before for uh, Becca's, Husband Dennis Hunt, uh, Truman and Sue's uh, daughter Becca, uh, her husband Dennis, has had cancer surgery about, I guess a week ago now, has it been? And uh, and so uh, he's doing good, really good. They took a tube out today and he's got a couple more tubes and they gave him a green popsicle to actually eat and, and so to, to test everything and it looks good. Uh, we just need to pray that he can get out of that hospital before they kill him in there and so... Uh, <laughs> You know, with Becca being a nurse, she sees everything they do, and when they come in and they mess up, it's like she wants to strangle them. And so I just okay, we'll just we'll pray for Dennis, but we'll also pray for Becca too. <laughs> so uh, let's pray for this the situation, and we'll also pray for uh, Dan for our study tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time tonight, for your grace in our lives, for bringing us together, Lord, and uh, Lord, thank you for laying on our hearts the priority that it should be in our lives to, to be studying your word and, and learning about you and learning your word and being able to apply these truths to our lives. And so we thank you for this time tonight, Lord. We look at the headlines and we look at, uh, Lord, we know that your word says that word says that in the last days there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and nations will be against nation, Lord. Uh, we just pray right now just, just for a settling, Lord, of, of what's going on between Saudi Arabia and Iran and uh, between the United States. Uh, Lord, uh, we know that war is never, never good and, and there's always death. And we pray, Lord, that, that things would just calm down according to your will. We know you have a plan and a purpose in all of this, but we just pray right now just for a calming of this. And Father, we want to lift up little Liam Hamilton to you and pray, Lord, that uh, as they give him new new formula and, and increase that, that Lord, he would just take to it and he would just start putting on weight and uh, just get healthy and strong. And we pray that you'd give Kevin and Lydia just wisdom in, in uh, just treating uh, little Liam. And finally, for Dennis, Lord, we pray that you'd just continue to heal him, touch his body, Lord, heal him just quickly. And Lord, just protect him in there, help the the uh, 
those that are in that hospital to not uh, make mistakes, Lord. We know it's possible in every place we're at, but Lord, we just pray for Dennis' sake. There'd be no mistakes, Lord, that you'd keep him safe. And uh, just continue to give Becca just wisdom, Lord, uh, in, in dealing with what goes on. Give her just uh, the grace that she needs, Lord, to get through this. And Lord, again, we just pray that you get Dennis home quickly and heal him quickly. Thank you for this time, Lord, for your word that we can look at. We ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, now in our study of Daniel chapter 4, we actually have something in common with King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is sharing his testimony. That's what chapter 4 is. Now, he had seen some amazing things done by God in the name of God. Daniel had miraculously told him what his dream was and then gave him the prophetic interpretation of that dream. And at that time, the the king had said to Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, verse 47, Surely your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Your God is. He didn't recognize him as his God. He's still telling Daniel, it's your God. He didn't become a believer in the true and living God yet. Instead, he went the opposite. And he mandated idolatry, demanding that everyone should bow down to this huge golden image that he had constructed. And, and uh, you know, we know that when Daniel, or uh, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to, to bow down, to worship it, they were cast into the fiery furnace. And again, King Nebuchadnezzar saw another miracle. I mean, he sees three in there, then a fourth one walking around looking like the Son of God. And, and, and uh, he's just blown away. And so they, they pull him out of the fire and, and there's not even a smell of smoke on them. And he recognized that it was God's hand in their lives. And he proclaims this in chapter 3, verse 28. Blessed be the God of... Not his God, but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him. You'd think that by now he would have learned his lesson. But unfortunately he hasn't. So tonight we look at chapter 4 of the book of Daniel, a, a chapter that is kind of the first of its kind in the scriptures, in that the narrative was written by a Gentile king, and it's his testimony from a truly unlikely convert. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4 now. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. So he's got a a testimony of God's power. He's describing his God as the Most High God. And God had used his Most High strength and his Most High power and might in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And Nebuchadnezzar, after the fact, says, hey, hey, you can't believe what God has done. Let, let me tell you, i got to tell you what God has done. You need to hear how God has been working in my life. And in the same way, when we come across people that, that maybe we, we, we don't think are Christians, or maybe we do, but man, God has done something great in your life, we need to have that same excitement, that same, so let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Because we all have a story, we all have a specific time or place when you realize your need for a Savior. And, and when you heard about Jesus Christ, you rejoiced and you repented of your wrongdoings and you believed. We have a testimony. Now, that could have been a, a memorable day, you know, a certain expensive time in your life, but we've all got a story. Some were addicted to drugs and found a Savior who helped them break free. Some, was, some were severely depressed and, and found a Savior who gave them hope to continue on. 
Maybe you're raised in a godly family and there just came a point when you, you had to believe for yourself. But at some point, you realize that life wasn't working out so well when you were running it on your own and you needed help. So you may have a, a radical testimony or, you know, or just a calm profession of faith. Either way, both testimonies that we have show the power of God and the love and the mercy because, because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all needed forgiveness. And so, because of that, we have a story to tell, a testimony to share, and it always begins with what God has done. Our testimonies show that, that, that God is greater than our story or our experience. It's not, not really about me. Well, I did, you know, before I did, I did. No, it's really about what God has done. And that's what we see. Look at verse 3. Nebuchadnezzar says, speaking of God, How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. You know, the Bible says that, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we see that God is the same as we see here from generation to generation, then as we looked at last week, we need to, to realize how important it is for the older generation to pass on to the younger generation all that God has done in their lives. That they might uh, discover that God can be found faithful to His Word. I think when the younger generation struggles with the things that they have to face, it's good to be able to say for those that, you know, older saints to say, hey, this is what, what I did when I was struggling through this, and this is the verse that the Lord gave me to help me out when I was going through this problem here, and then He can do the same thing for you. Now, it's not the old, I walked to school in the snow, you know, five feet deep, uphill both ways and and uh, that's what it is Uh, he's just saying this is the power of god from generation to generation giving hope to those who hear and it means giving that next generation opportunities to be used by god and to uh, uh, to put the things that they're learning into practice so here we have nebuchadnezzar in verse 3 saying hey you've got to see what god has done this is great now, I don't know if you've read Daniel chapter 4 before, so you, you, you may not know what's about to happen. And that's okay, because we're going to read the whole thing tonight. But here's a sneak preview. God basically turns Nebuchadnezzar into a cow. Okay, there it is. Now, while he turns him into a cow, as he's out there grazing in the grass, he learns so many important lessons that now, after the fact, as he's writing this down, and he's restored it to his sanity, he says, man, it was really cool. More than anything else, I needed to be a cow. I needed to be turned into a cow. I needed to graze in the grass for a while. That's why Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 2, I thought it good for to declare the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. He's saying, God works these things for me. He had a purpose for me. God cares for me. He's working in me. And even at that very point that I was going through this heavy, heavy trial, I knew that God was with me. I mean, if you think about a man being turned into a cow... That would seem like God was working against him. But see, we need to understand that we're, we're, as believers, we're sons and daughters of God. I mean, that means Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says to us, My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes those he accepts as his children. And as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined? started thinking about this and, and God's discipline in our lives. And, and it brought back to my memory my, my son Matthew. And, and he's now 20 years old. But, 
you know, when he was three or four years old and he needed to be disciplined. You know, he, now he would weigh out the consequences of his sin. I mean, he would look at it and go, you know, a lot like his older sister. I won't say which one. But, um, weigh out the consequences. Okay, this may be, I should get one spanking for this, but it's worth the spanking. I'm going to go for it. And, and you know, and, and, and Matthew was the same way, and, and he would do it. And when I'd catch him, and, and I'd go, Matthew, you've done wrong, and, and you need to be disappointed. You need to get a spanking. And he would say, one or two. You want to know how many he was going to get in his spanking. And one, I think his thinking was, one, I'll do it again. Two, I probably should think about not doing it again. But either way, the discipline came. You know, on, on the part designed by the Lord for the most cushion, I swaddled him. And what happens? Well, he would repent. I'm sorry, Dad. And we would hug and we would pray. And, and his little attitude was changed. I think as we get older, we forget that, that God is our Father. And there are times, because He loves us, He's going to take us through situations where we're going to, we're going to get a swat every now and then. One or two. Well, it depends. <laughs> you know, If you're going to keep doing what you're doing, then you might need to get swatted again and again and again. But, 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 but God's hand of discipline comes down and we say, Oh, God must not love me. Uh, how can I be going through this? God must not care for me. Why is this happening to me? I've, I got this crisis, this problem with this person, whatever it may be in a form of a trial. And we, we think that God must not love me. But the opposite is true. God loves you very, very much. He's, he's chastening you. He's, he's disciplining you. And he's trying to get your attention. Because if you weren't going through this trial, this difficulty right now, you wouldn't be paying much attention to the Lord. Now you might, but typically, you know, people who have everything going for them in their life are not seeking the Lord as they should. They're, they're not trying to find answers. Why? Because things are going good. Hey, I got the answers. I'm kind of satisfied. But then God has a way of knocking on our hearts and saying, hey, 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 hey you see what's going on here? I, I need to get your attention here. And then all of a sudden you start going through that trial. And they go, why am I going through this? What's going on? Lord, what is going on? And then we're praying and we're reading and we're seeking the Lord and going, that's all I wanted. I needed to get your attention. So I found that in my life, God will use affliction to knock on my heart. He uses family. He uses my wife. He uses sickness, conflicts, even friendships. Because then what we learn then is, is when things are going good, we learn, hey, I'm going to be just as close to my God as I am when things are going difficult. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be seeking Him. I'm going to be looking to Him even more so when things are going good. See, it's a friendship and a communication that is built by going to God always, not only when you feel you really need Him, but then when those times come, when you really do need Him, you know that He's there, you know that He's faithful because you've been consistently spending time with Him and seeking His face. Well, here uh, in, in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar has this problem. He's going to tell us that God has turned him into a cow, but it was okay because he needed to be a cow for a season and and again, it's very encouraging, really, because as we see Nebuchadnezzar speaking this, he's proclaiming God's power throughout the, the whole story. Because even the worst of circumstance, God is able to turn it around so you can say, on the outside, this looked really horrible. But what God was doing was great. God taught me lessons, lessons that I've learned that I want to pass on to you. Look, look at the biggest lessons uh, that, that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn. I think, I mean, think about it. What was the biggest thing that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn? Well, think about the statue, the head of gold, you know, the, the largest, most powerful kingdom on the face of the earth. 
What is it that God needed to teach Nebuchadnezzar? Pride. Man, you, 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 God hates pride. And Nebuchadnezzar was a prideful man. Someone said, once described pride like a beard. It just keeps growing. The solution, shave it every day. Look how God dealt with Nebuchadnezzar's pride. Look at verse 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Let me add here that whenever God is dealing with you over an area in your life, it will be personal to you. It will be unique to you. That is, God will touch you where you need to be touched. God will, will deal with you in a way that, that, that you can relate to it. Here Nebuchadnezzar is saying that he's flourishing in, in my palace. In verse 4, he's at rest in my house, on my bed. So how's God going to get his attention? Well, the way he's got his attention before. Through visions, through, through his dreams. And God knows the areas in our lives that will affect us to get our attention. To say, hey, hey I, I need your attention. You know, For example, if someone stole my golf clubs, it would not devastate me. They were given to me by my father-in-law that he bought at a garage sale. And I don't golf. Great. This guy, man, he enjoyed it more than I do. You know, it's great. Now, if someone steals my laptop and I don't have my studies backed up somewhere, I, I would, it would affect me big time. Okay. It would get my attention. See, God allows things to come into our lives, into your lives that deal especially with what's going on in your life that's going to get our notice. And the way that God did this with Nebuchadnezzar is through his dreams. Look at verse 6. He has this dream we read. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in and I told them the dream. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. So again, he has this dream and he's bringing in these wise men of the court to interpret the dream. Now, now, you know, he's not bringing, I mean, the, the same guys you know, couldn't help him last time. Uh, and, but he, Nebuchadnezzar just keeps, he keeps going back, you know, returning to the wrong people for advice. Same guys in chapter 2 that Daniel exposed as frauds. Now this tells me at this point, Daniel, uh, not Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is still trusting in his ways of doing things. He's relying on himself. He's relying on his, his own options instead of looking to God. Even though God was was using this dream to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention, Nebuchadnezzar's responding in the same old way that Nebuchadnezzar responded to before. He's turning to the astrologers and the magicians and the, the soothsayers, all these guys, you know, but they couldn't help. Meanwhile, they knew themselves that so while Daniel is, is around, <laughs> I mean, they're going to be, you know, found out to be phony, so they better keep their mouths shut. But you can see what's happened in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. You know, maybe in his mind he's going, I should call Daniel. He's the guy that can interpret the dreams. I can call Daniel. I should call Daniel. I don't know. Should I call Daniel? Man, if I call Daniel, uh, I don't know. He may tell me something I don't want to hear. So what does he do? He goes and he calls his wise guy's friends and he calls them first. Why did he wait for Daniel for, for last? Well, because he wanted to hear something different. And if you go to your friends that aren't believers and you're seeking, you know, counseling them i mean they're gonna they're not gonna tell you what you need they're not gonna tell you what you what you need to hear maybe they may tell you what you want to hear 
In other words, if your marriage is struggling and, and you go check with your heathen friends and say, hey, my marriage is not working. And they'll say, yeah, my marriage isn't working either. Let's go get drunk. See, you're not going to find the advice that you really need, you know, that really changes your life. That, let, let me give you a different example. My marriage isn't working, so I'm going to go to this, this marriage counselor. Okay, well, is he a Christian? No, but he's a really nice guy, and he's got all these degrees in psychology and marriage counseling. So what is he sharing with you? He's not sharing the Word of God with you. He's just sharing men, men's ideas. But you see, if you're going through marriage problems, you go to the Christian, and the Christian says, Hey, are you praying with your wife as God's Word says you ought to be? Are you, are you serving your wife? Are you, are you uh, loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Because that's what the Bible says. As a sister of the Lord, are you saying to the sister, are, are you submitting to your husband as unto the Lord? Because that's what the Bible says. Are you looking for ways to serve your husband? Because that's what the Bible says. See, when you have the, the right counsel, the counsel from the Word of God, then those changes can be taking place in your life as you're taking the Word of God and, and applying it in our lives. Well, finally, Daniel, uh, verse 8, comes to the king, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar then says in verse 8, look at verse 8, but at last, Daniel came before me, his name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. Now, the other end of the situation, Daniel has a choice. How is he going to respond? Well, let's read on. It says, Daniel, I had this dream, verse 10. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. And its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens. And it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely. Its fruit abundant. And it was food for all. The beasts of the fields found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches. And all the flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed. And there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Then you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Daniel's reaction? Oh, now you want me. You know, now I'm the last guy that comes on, that comes along here and, and uh, you want me to beg. And hey, and you know what? I know about what you did to my three friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Meshach. You threw them into the fire. You think I'm going to do you any favors? Scumbag. Well, he doesn't do that. You know, there's that temptation. You know, maybe you know someone who's not a believer and, and they behaved rudely to you. They, they've offended you, you know, what, you know. Uh, my question is, first of all, how do you expect a non-believer to act? I mean, they're non-believers in the first place. But maybe somewhere down the road, they, they come to you for help, for counsel, knowing that you are a Christian. How are you going to answer? How are you going to respond? 
Maybe God is trying to get their attention and He wants to use you for that. And you see that they're going through a really hard time. You say, good, they deserve that. I'm glad they're going through that. I mean, are we going to be like John who said, I'm not going to tell them about God. I don't want them to repent. I want, the, I want them to, I want to keep on not liking them. Listen, God may want to use you to reach that person that's been so rude to you, especially if they're coming to you. And it's at that point we need to be careful as Christians because the way we react is going to be the difference between them continuing to share their heart with you or building a wall and not talking with that person ever again. So I believe that there are people in this world who are just looking for someone that they can trust, that they can share their heart with. And God wants to use us to open, uh, to, 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 to share with them. Remember, it's the goodness of God, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not that you get what you deserve, God, that leads us to repentance. It's a kindness. So then Daniel's reaction, look at verse 19. How's it going to react? And Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. Daniel knew what the dream meant, but he was stunned by it. And he's gone, oh man. And he was afraid for the king. He, he wished, he hoped that this really wasn't meant for the king. But it was the king who snapped him out of it and said, but listen, you need to tell me what it means. Look at verses 20 to 25. We read, Daniel say, well, that tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in those branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reached to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, believe its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of the heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Daniel here says, King, the dream is all about you. You've grown in this, in, in, in this influence and power and visibility. Uh, your kingdom's provided for, for and ruled over many. The, this dream was judgment against the king. He would be chopped down, but not completely destroyed. He'll become a stump of what he'd been and bonded to his own mind, a mind that would become uh, like that of an animal. He would be in this state that until he recognized that God was, was a true ruler and the one who places people in the position of authority. So there was a, a time limit on this. Now, that brings up the question, does God cause or allow mental illness? One author writes this, Sorrow, despair, failure, sickness, mental illness are all a part of his plan to draw upon when others' more gentle methods fail. God can use whatever he wants to get our attention. Dr. Wallace Emerson wrote this, So when we think of Nebuchadnezzar's madness as punitive, a judging of pride of heart and a rebuke for his harshness to Israel, there may be another purpose. 
that God may put together a mind that is conformed to the truth, made possible by a more tractable spirit, that he might come to a conviction of his own complete powerlessness to control his own destiny and even his own mind. I like that. See, even in times of mental illness, God is in control and God is the one that heals and brings people through whatever difficulty. And that's what we see in verse 26. We see the bright side. Look at verse 26. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a, there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. You see, he's saying, oh, if you would just repent from your pride, just turn from it, maybe God would prolong what he said is going to happen. Now, the, the, we see the roots of the tree were left intact, indicating that when the king did acknowledge the Lord, that the kingdom would be given back to him. But again, Daniel is going, please, turn from your pride. Look at verse 28. At this came upon, and all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the twelve months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, "Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty?" See, God was was merciful for another year, allowing him time to repent. But but he he doesn't. He's still filled with pride. He's looking over the city and he's he's impressed with all that he has done. He's given no credit to the Lord here. He said his name is all over the place. In fact, I read this, that archaeologists, archaeologists, when they began to excavate Babylon, they found that most of the bricks from the buildings were stamped with this phrase, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, supportive of Sagila and Zida, exalted firstborn son of Nabopolassar, king of Babylon. That's an awful lot to put on a brick. Kind of self-indulgent, doesn't it? But then again, you know, how often do we take credit, you know, pridefully take credit for our accomplishments? How often do we want to put our name over all the things that we do? See, we need to acknowledge that God is the giver of every good thing and credit belongs to Him because of Him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, What do you have that you did not receive? But if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, all credit, all glory should go to God. And scriptures, they're, they're full of, of warning about pride. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And Proverbs twenty nine twenty three: a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. And they go, why does God hate pride so much? Well, because that was how sin entered the universe. There in, 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 in uh, Lucifer, Isaiah 14, 12 through 16. The whole story about Lucifer where he, you know, he says, you know, I will be exalted. I will, will put my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. He had an eye problem. He was thrown down. Nebuchadnezzar was a prideful man and like Lucifer, God was going to make sure that he, he was brought low. Story I found of a minister, a boy scout, and a computer expert who were the only passengers on a small plane. The pilot came back to the cabin and said that the plane was going down, but there were only three parachutes and four people. The pilot added, I should have one of the parachutes because I have a wife and three kids, so he took one and jumped. The computer whiz said, I should have one of the parachutes because I am the smartest man in the world and everyone needs me. So he took another one and jumped. The minister turned to the boy scout 
And with a sad smile, I said, you are young, and I've lived a rich life, so you, you take the remaining parachute, and I'll go down with the plane. The Boy Scout said, relax, Pastor, the smartest man in the world just picked up my knapsack and jumped out the door. <laughs> James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Any one of us who's been a Christian for any amount of time knows that, 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 that God is quite good at keeping His servants humble. And if we refuse to humble ourselves, he's very good at putting us in those situations where we are, we are humbled. But here God was merciful for another year, allowing King Nebuchadnezzar time to repent, but he was so filled with pride, he just wouldn't do it. You know, we need to keep ourselves humble before the Lord. So look at verse 30 again. Then the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. A lot of personal pronouns there. Verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom, kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the fields. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom, kingdom of men and gives it to him wherever, whomever he chooses. The very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. It's interesting in verse 33, it says, in that very hour. There's other translations that says, immediately. I mean, here is the, the, the picture. Here's the king. He's walking through his, his palace and he's just looking at everything before him in his courtyard. He, he's got his kingly crown on. He's got his robes on and he stops and says, is this not the, the kingdom that I have created? Is this not Babylon for my majesty? Is this not boo? 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 I mean, instantly he's turned. I mean, he's changed. That's what happened. Kind of like Pinocchio, you know, on the, that island there with the kids. Suddenly, immediately from the courtyard, he jumps into the field and starts grazing. And you can imagine the wise men going, what is going on? Maybe they attempted to get to him and he growled at him. I don't know. He's judged for his pride. He went mad. Experiencing what psychologists call boanthropy, the delusion that you are a cow or an ox. An actual uh, uh, mental illness. He ate grass, had no personal hygiene, his, his, his hair, nails grew long, his hair became matted into dreadlocks. For seven years he was like that. And, and as amazing as this account seems, we have it in his own words. Plus, this has been historically confirmed in Babylon archaeology. I read this, a Qumran document, the prayer of Nabonidus makes mention of a king of Babylon as a, a tree being chopped down and spending seven years in insanity, the Greek historian Abedinus wrote in 268 BC that Nebuchadnezzar had been possessed by some god and subsequently had disappeared from the scene. And then thirdly, scholars have noted that although Nebuchadnezzar's accomplishments have been well documented, there is no record of him doing anything between the years 582 BC and 575 BC. So this is terrible time for the king. And guess who took care of him during this time? I found another document, the same Qumran document said, the prayer of Nabodinus, that, that Daniel took care of him. Daniel took care of him. You know what that tells me? That tells me that when people are going through a tough time, 
even if it's a time of discipline from the Lord, the best thing that we could do for them is just be there for them. Be there for them. Pray with them. Come alongside of them. Again, this was truly a terrible time for Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verses 34 through 37 then. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. The king, even in his insanity, waited seven years to lift his eyes towards heaven. Now, this is prophesied that it was going to be seven years, but, but, but why would anyone wait so long? I mean, I think of the same thing, the great tribulation period, the seven years that's going to happen with there. People refusing to look to the Lord. So many people today refusing to look to Christ for salvation. I think we talked about this in our our men's study last night, Numbers chapter 21, when the children of Israel were complaining and complaining and complaining that that the Lord sent these fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and and many of the people of Israel died. Can you imagine what that was like? Every time you complain, a serpent comes around the corner and bites you. I think I'd be doing a whole lot less complaining. But the cure was, and God said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So this instrument of judgment became an instrument of salvation. All they had to do was look to the serpent on the pole and they would live. But the Bible says that, that many people died. And then, you know, the same thing with the cross of Christ. All we need to do, look to Christ and we can be saved. In fact, Jesus used that same illustration talking to Nicodemus in John 3.14. He said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus was saying, I'm going to be like that serpent lifted up for for the very same reason. We know that the the serpent is a symbol of sin, and Jesus said all of our sins placed upon Him. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar looks to heaven, looks to, to God. And when he did, his reasoning returned, his kingdom was restored, and he gave glory to God. Look back at verse 34 again. It says, For his dominion is, speaking of God, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? (laughs) He's got first-hand knowledge of that. You know what? My God is powerful. He can do what he wants. You see, Daniel's God became Nebuchadnezzar's God. No longer the God of Daniel. In fact, 
Uh, he said in verse 2, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. This is his testimony, what God has done for him, where he was before, the trial that he went to to get him where he needed to be and where he is now. And he closes again with verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven of all whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. (laughs) What a warning in the very end. All those that walk in pride he is able to put down. Don't think, oh no, you know, God's not going to put me, I can do, I can do this, I can go along with that, I, I, nothing's going to affect me. God is able to put you down. If anything, we see that, uh, with Nebuchadnezzar. May we repent of any pride that we have before the Lord, humble ourselves before Him, so that, that we can extol Him and honor Him, the King of Heaven, whose works are truth, whose ways are justice. To Him be the glory. Let's pray.